Luke chapter 20, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? If we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Here ends the lesson. And that's a great prayer, is it not, to uh, approach God's word with. So uh, it'd be great if you could uh, pick up a Bible and look back to Luke chapter 20. Uh, which I think was on uh, page 879. So hopefully you've got that in front of you uh, now so you can see that what I'm saying uh, is what God is wanting to say to us uh, this morning. I was walking out of a supermarket car park not far from here a few weeks back Uh, when a car drove really swiftly into the car park and mounted the pavement by the entrance. This just happened to be the place where I was standing, so I took a face of action. Um, And uh, the person driving the car uh, got out in order to go into the supermarket. I was so shocked and stunned by this that I couldn't help but just blurt out, you can't park there. To which she said, who says so? What gives you the right to tell you where I can and cannot put my car? She said it in slightly fruitier language than that, I must say. And I've say I'm not often lost for words, but I was on this occasion. I had never seen Mahini Wood like this before. <laughs> I knew it, I was I was shocked. No, sorry, it wasn't Mahini. It wasn't. And if you don't know who Mahini is, Mahini is our pastoral worker uh, here at the church. She's the l- most lovely person you will ever meet. Uh, it wasn't anyone uh, you know. But I was lost for words because well. What do you say to that? What does give me the authority to police the little car park? (laughs) Folks, have you ever been asked a question like that? Who says so? What gives you the right? Have you ever asked a question like that? And more to my point for this morning, have you ever asked Jesus a question like that? Come on, don't be coy. Admit it, we all have. I'm sure we all have. And uh, we'd not be the first people to do so by a long shot. As it's the question being fired at Jesus as we dive into our series of autumn sermons uh, in the book of Luke. Here in Luke chapter 20, verse 2, do you see it? Tell us, by what authority you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? Who says so? What gives you the right At first glance, this looks like a good question, doesn't it? If you're here checking out the Christian claims for yourself, just wanting to do a bit of prodding and poking uh, to see uh, what what it's all about and if there's anything in the claims of Christ. 
That's why a course we run here at St. Joseph's called Christianity Explored starts with this question. If you could ask God any question and you knew it would be answered, what would it be? We've all got questions about God, haven't we? I think some of them are probably well better thought out than others, but, but we've all got questions. In fact, I hope we've got questions. I really do. I hope we haven't got to the end of our curiosity in asking questions as if we knew it all already. This question here has got layers, though. It's like an onion, so, so let's peel back another layer, and, and we'll find out that actually it's not just a good question, but it's an understandable one. Like, do you notice who's asking it in verse 1? It's the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. These folks are the religious leaders of the day, the church leaders, if you like. And you see what provoked it? It's the incident, the end of the last chapter, chapter 19, verse 45. And he, that's Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I mean, Jesus has been going on the rampage in the temple. He's been turning over tables of the, the money changers and, and, and pushing over the seats of those who were selling pigeons for people who were coming to the temple to offer sacrifice. He turned the place upside down. So you kind of understand why they're now asking him, confronting him, by what authority do you do these things? Did the general synod or the church council pass a motion and we missed it? (laughs) Who gave you the right to do this? Has the archbishop commissioned you? Of course not. It's the archbishop and the general synod who are asking this question. That's who these folks are. You see, Jesus hasn't come in and overturned the the, the tables of the temple, and then walked out again. This is the morning after the night before, and he's back. Uh, uh, The temple staff are still trying to clear out the mess. There's there's bits of broken table needing putting back together. There's there's, there's pigeons still kind of fluttering around in the rafters. And if you're lucky, you might find some stray coins still under the pews. And while they're sweeping up, the the clergy and the church councillors scratching their heads and wondering how they're going to conduct the morning service. And Jesus is back. I mean, can you imagine the cheek of it, the nerve of it? I mean, look at verse 1. Jesus is walking around the temple courts as if he owned the place. No wonder they front up saying, tell us by what authority you do these things or who is it that gave you this authority? Who gives you the right? Let's dig a little deeper, folks. Peel off another layer from the onion. For what seems such a great question, such such an understandable question, is actually a shocking question on these people's lips. I love the story I came across uh, this week in the news about um, a group of tourists. They were on a tour bus um, touring Iceland, and they stopped at this volcanic canyon, and they were having a look around. And then they heard that one of the party was missing. So a search party was formed, and, and they headed out, and they searched, and they searched, searched, and it got to 3 a.m. in the morning when they suddenly realized that the person they were looking for was part of the search party. <laughs> this woman had gone and changed her clothes, and so when they issued the description of the missing person, she didn't recognize herself. And folks, that made me think of these guys here in Luke chapter 20. 
they and all the Jewish people, they had been searching. All the way through the Old Testament, they had been watching and waiting for God's Messiah King to come. Time and again, God promised to send a Savior who would come to live with his people and would save them from their sins. And here he is, right under their noses. This is the Messiah King that they've been looking for all along. And, and, and boy, in the Gospels, read through the Gospels. If you've never read through the Gospels for yourself, grab one, pick it up, and, and read it. Not now, when you get home. You must do that because you'll see that Jesus proves who he is. He's proven his authority by making the blind see and raising the dead as if they were just having a nap. And, and not just wowing the crowds with his miracles, but by teaching like no one ever else had done before. By teaching, not like these guys, not like the rabbis. The gospels say that a number of times. He didn't teach like the rabbis. He taught with authority. That's what the gospels tell us about Jesus. He walks around as if he owns the place. Because he does. All the evidence suggests that. And yet the religious elite, the, the search party, if you like, they don't recognize him or, or they refuse to. All they can do when they meet him face to face is say, what gives you the authority to do this? It's a shocking question. It's a shocking question when you're actually speaking to God. And it makes me wonder, do we think this kind of moment will come for the church leaders in our nation and around the world? Will they look at the fractured remains of a church they've poured their lives into and desperately tried to hold together and find Jesus turning upside down and saying, God isn't in this. In fact, he is appalled by this. I think that's moments coming, don't you? We mustn't be naive about this. We mustn't be smug about it either. You know, we need to pray for the leaders of the church in this country. We need to pray for the leaders of the global church. And we've got to be looking at ourselves as well. We, we, we can't be thinking, oh, well, we're St. Joseph's, you know. We've got everything sorted. I mean, that's what these guys thought. They thought they got it sorted. They were the guardians of the true faith in a world full of pagan idols. So do we ever ask ourselves, what would Jesus think of my religion? Do we ever find ourselves looking around at what we do at church and think, what would Jesus think of this? Uh, would, we, would he value what we value about church? Or, or would, he, would he turn it over and trample on it? What are the things that you most value about church? Are they what Jesus would value? I don't know how to kind of conduct this survey properly, but I know I need to keep asking myself these questions. I must. Because it would be simply awful to drift into this kind of situation and just, just assume what I think we often assume, which is, well, of course Jesus would agree with me. I don't want to wake up one day in the reality that finds myself asking him the question, what gives you the right? This is a shocking question. It is a shocking question from these people and from a lot of people like us. And do you notice what Jesus does with it? Look at verse 3 with me. 
He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Do you see what Jesus does here? He answers a question with a question. Not because he's trying to be uh, like some kind of slippery politician and duck the issue. No, John was the one who came to proclaim the coming of the Messiah King. He actually pointed out Jesus and he went, look, that guy, that guy over there, he's God's savior. When he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's God's job, isn't it? Taking away the sin of the world. And John says, that's Jesus. So actually this question Jesus responds with here is actually a revealing question as it will tell us a lot about the people who answer it. As what they make of John tells us exactly where they stand with God. And these religious leaders here, they answer it like professional snooker players. Which I know is my, that might sound a, bit, a little bit strange, but bear with me here, okay? Bear with me. Uh, have you ever played snooker? I, I used to play uh, a fair bit when I was younger. And if I potted a ball, it was a great shot. I mean, it didn't matter how easy the, the, shot, the pot was. If it was just hanging over the jaws of the pocket, my only aim was to just get the ball in the pocket. Just occasionally I would wander around the table chalking my cue and kind of looking at angles. But I only really did that because I saw the professionals do that on the telly. (laughs) Now they were doing that because they were thinking about where they needed to leave the white ball in three shots time to keep the break going. (laughs) But for me, that thought never crossed my mind because I knew when I was playing there would not be a three shots time. And so when Jesus throws out this question, the religious types handle it like professional snooker players. They're thinking three shots ahead. Do you see? Look at them. Verse 3. Verse 5 even. And they discussed it with one another, saying, right, if we say from heaven, then he will say, why do you not believe him? We'll have egg on our faces, won't we? (laughs) Because we didn't take his baptism. We didn't believe John when he said that Jesus was the Messiah King. But hold on, hold on, hold on. If we say from man, all the people will stone us for death, to death, won't they? Because they're convinced that John was a prophet. And we'll plummet in the popularity ratings. We'll be stuffed. Either way, whatever answer they give, they're stuck. If you like a good punt, they're snookered. Either way, they don't really want to live by the consequences of Jesus' answer. They could only see Jesus' question as a trap, couldn't they? Not as an opportunity to repent. I mean, it's so sad uh, that it never occurred to them to to humble themselves, to get down on their knees and go, yes, it was from heaven. Why were our hearts so hard? We're so sorry. Please forgive us. Of course, if they had believed in John, then it would have been so much easier to respond to Jesus. But each rejection of Christ makes it much harder to take the next opportunity, doesn't it? I mean, I think a lot of us have, we have this idea in our head, don't we, that that actually we can can ignore Jesus and just go out and and live how we please, do whatever we want, enjoy life, and and then just come back to him when, when it's a more convenient moment for us, when we're more up for it. But that's built on a huge fallacy. 
Each time I say no to God, say no to Christ and refuse to believe, the rut goes deeper, much deeper, and it's harder to climb out. And we look at Jesus and we wonder if he's a trap. So they answered Jesus, verse 7, that they did not know. And the problem isn't with the truth. <laughs> this isn't intellectual. It's not like, oh, this is really hard to figure out. <laughs> they said past, more because they were cowardly. Jesus' question had revealed their hearts. You see, I can ask Jesus questions, and that is fine. Uh, but will you live with the answers? Will you go where the truth leads you and obey? We don't know the answer. We don't know So Jesus says, verse 8, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I mean, he's not daft, is he? I mean, you you can't say that about Jesus. He knows the questioners' minds are already made up. I I mean, we've seen that in 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 looking back at the the last chapter, chapter 19. Do that again. Look at the last two verses. These people weren't just questioning him now. They were trying to kill him back then. That's what they were plotting, plotting. That's what's on their minds. And so Jesus won't just answer questions for the sake of it. He's very patient with the honest seeker. If that's you this morning, he's so patient. Keep asking your questions. But Jesus can be very silent if I'm not willing to live with the consequence of his answers. So in a few chapters' time, When Jesus is on trial for his life, Pontius Pilate sends him off to King Herod, and Herod just fires question after question at him. He literally peppers him with questions. And Jesus doesn't say anything. He stays stum. And when I first read that, I remember thinking, oh, come on, Jesus. I mean, you could could at least give Herod a chance. I mean, let him know who you are. I mean, tell him what you're here for. I mean, oh, come on. What a wasted opportunity. This is a chance to influence a king. What are you playing at? But I've forgotten two things, haven't I? Jesus is the king. And secondly, I'd missed what we already know of Herod from the Gospels. Herod loved to listen to John the Baptist. He had him on to preach week after week. He loved to listen. But John kept telling him about his sin. He kept telling him that he shouldn't be married to his brother's wife. And Herod didn't want to do anything about that. And he would not repent. So when Herod asked Jesus another set of questions, just to amuse himself, Jesus wasn't going to play games. This would be some kind of performing show pony. And folks, wouldn't it be an awful thing if we came here to church... Uh, or, or to midweek group or some other kind of Christian activity that we, that, that we run at, at church. <laughs> Loving to roll the Bible's teaching around our mouths like it's a fine wine, like, like some connoisseur critiquing the, the preacher or the, the music or the, or the Bible study leader. But going away week after week, refusing to do anything about it. That's not an attitude that tends to get answers from Jesus. Because he knows that not everyone who asks a question wants an answer. 
remember when I was uh, working with students across our partner church in Jesmond, I, uh, uh, a Dutch lad uh, came along uh, with some friends uh, to the weekly Bible study uh, that we uh, uh, led there. Uh, he wasn't a Christian, but he was fascinated by Jesus, and he had question after question after question about him. And so I started to uh, meet up with him and, uh, and tried to answer his questions as best I could. There were two problems with that. One, he was way brighter than me. And two, he was Dutch, so obviously he spoke much better English than me too. But still, we persisted week after week until eventually he started going back round all of the questions he had actually already asked before. And we had a couple of weeks of this until I took a breath and I launched in. I said, listen, if I was to answer all your questions to your satisfaction, would you then become a Christian? And Now, that's not that there wouldn't be more questions to follow. There always are, aren't there? Uh, but, it, but it's to say that there, there does come a time when all of your questions have been answered in, in, in such a way that it's reasonable to believe the next question will be answered too by someone. So I ask, if I answer all your questions to your satisfaction, would you turn to Christ and follow him? And he said, oh, you'll never answer my questions to my satisfaction. I was honest. I said, I admit, I probably wouldn't. But if I did, would you turn to Christ? And it saddened me greatly, his answer. But I had to appreciate his honesty as he looked me in the eye and he said, no. And it breaks my heart that he stopped asking questions and I stopped having the opportunity to answer them. We don't know, they said. And so Jesus said to them, neither will I answer your question. It's a good question. An understandable one, even. If you're, if you're looking into the Christian faith this morning, I really want to encourage you to ask your questions. Um, what gives you the right? Why should I listen to you, Jesus? Ask those kind of questions. Uh, there's some great places to start as you explore that. One is to take away a copy of uh, Mark's Gospel. It's the shortest one, one, the quickest one that you can get through in terms of reading. There's copies of these on the uh, black display racks and the, and the welcome tables around the building. So just grab one on your way uh, home. Uh, they're free. The other thing that we do is we uh, do this course I mentioned uh, at the start, Christianity Explored. If you've got one question, you knew God would answer it. What would it be? We really aim to make this course a place where it's really safe to ask your questions. No matter how silly they are, no matter how threatening you think they are, no matter how offensive you think they are, we're not that prickly, or I hope we'd not be that prickly. So sign up for that. Come along. Grab one of those flyers from the display racks too. But folks, this question here, it's a shocking question from those kind of people, from most of us. People who should know better. What gives you the right Jesus? So before we start asking our questions, wouldn't it be better if we tried this? Answering his revealing question. Will you go where my answers lead you? Will you obey? Or are we just playing games? God says to his people, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So folks, let's take nothing for granted. And let's pray that that is you 
and me, that we will seek him with all our hearts and lives. Let me pray for us now. Oh, Father God, you know us through and through. After all, you made us and put us together. You've watched over us all our lives. You know when our hearts are proud and stubborn or hard and willful. So we want to ask you this morning, as the psalmist did, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.